What's up, y'all? It's your Levered Lads doing the Levered Podcast, aka the Non-Fungible Podcast. Today we'll be talking about, uh, <laughs> today we'll be talking about, if that to give it away, non-fungible tokens, aka NFTs. You might have seen it trending on Twitter, or if you're a boomer, Saturday you probably Night haven't Live. heard about it at all. It made an appearance <laughs> on Saturday Night Live, Live, even. Yeah. 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 That's a that's the signal of a top. Infiltrating mainstream. <laughs> that's the top. <laughs> once once your uh, once your parents ask you how to buy an NFT, you need to liquidate everything and get out. Dude, my mom sent um, my mom my mom sent me the the SNL like video of it. It's actually pretty humor. You guys should check it out. But I digress. I think I think my roommate might have said that to me too. Um. So yeah, we'll be breaking down NFTs. Uh, just working on it. Hopefully. You know, for the uninformed, maybe give a nice little conceptual model about what they're what they're for and help you cut through the noise. Um, but in the spirit of keeping these intros a little more lively, we're going to play a little game. I have a quiz for uh, Teej and Shake. I want, um, I want you guys to estimate the amount of money that's been spent on NFTs in the last month, according to nonfungible.com. So are we talking just actual NFTs or like NFT tokens as well? Just, just uh, you the amount of volume in U- United States dollars. Damn, but not on currency. But not on not on NFT protocol tokens. Just just right. yeah, just the tokens themselves. So digital art, digital collectibles, virtual land, yada yada. Okay. Um, Fuck. 250 million? <laughs> Damn. I'm going to go... Uh, no, I, I feel like I'm too low. This is game theory. I'm gonna go, go, you have to go one above or one below. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to circumvent the game theory and just go genuine. Um, I'm going to go 85 million. 85 million. Well... Hake is the winner. According to nonfungible.com, it's $212 million in the last Oh, last uh, that was pretty close. Dude, he's, he's on the money. <laughs> yeah, I think you might have checked. That was pretty close, bro. <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried to check I tried to check uh, CoinGecko real quick, but then it was it's not the coin, so it didn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's crazy. Should we crazy. maybe mention, $200 like... $200 million. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it is crazy. I think it'd be um, interesting, and I don't know if you guys have different thoughts on it, but I, I kind of was thinking about how is this a lever? You know, how do we tie it in with with kind of our theme? And the way I look at it is, um, you know, no individual NFT that you can buy or platform you can use is like necessarily going to be the lever in my eyes. But like understanding what NFTs are, why people are excited about them, I think that that's kind of the the levered. Uh, you know, activity, like just like understanding that now, I think is going to pay off a lot uh, in yeah. the long run. It's kind of the way I look at it. And we'll also get into this more, but um, NFTs as a technology, um, kind of similar to money, can end up being a lever for society and that it enables um, just more economic activity, which is what Tej and I actually wrote about recently. A paper we did on NFTs. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, a personal lever for you to understand it, and then also seeing this as like a technology 
that's the lovers for society is how it fits into the the modus operandi of the pod pod operandi. operandi i think at this point it's also worth saying that um so like we throw the the term nft has been thrown around a lot right and the way it's thrown around the nft is the actual digital good right like we're trying to gauge the NFT sales over the past month. Basically what that means is the sales of digital assets over the past month. When NFT is a little bit different, right? The NFT is what sort of secures the digital asset. Like you've got these digital products being funneled around, being traded, sold, speculated upon. The NFT is a, is, is a, is a technology. It's a construct that pairs that digital item with a blockchain hash, right? It's a, technology that allows people to see who owns what and the certain qualities of what those assets are. So there's two separate things and understanding the NFT as a technology. Uh, I, I agree. That's, that's kind of where the lever is. And if the NFT is a technology, as opposed to these assets, like we've always had all these various assets, but it's that NFT construct and that securitization that, uh, that kind of provides people levers, unlocks potential choices, options, and capital. Yeah. So an NFT, um, an NFT isn't like the digital good. It's not the video or the image you're looking at uh, that people sold. An NFT is a digital deed. And I think NFT, unfortunately, is a bad name, which is kind of classic engineering thing. But it's an NFT is like the digital deed that says I own this. So it works kind of like a property, a property deed does for a house where you have an information system which says um, person X owns house Y, and then you maintain a register of who owns what houses. NFTs are basically a digital deed on the blockchain that says who owns what. So um, once you realize that it's just this new technology for keeping track of who owns what, um, you kind of realize that the applications could be broader than just digital art. The reason why we're starting with digital art is just that um, Obviously, digital art is more like amenable to being tracked digitally. We already have reasonably good information systems keeping track of ownership um, in the in uh, the physical world. And then people also are really excited about this idea of sovereignty over assets in digital space. And so, um, short term, we'll see NFTs backing digital assets. But in the long run, there's no reason that NFTs on the blockchain won't be the de facto information system for every property system. So, right. Yeah. I was just going to so say, I, so that yeah. the, the fact that, um, I think art's a pretty interesting example to take the idea of the NFT artifact out of the clouds and bolster it in a, in a use case. So, um, so art, digital art was kind of the first, um, the first vertical, um, to adopt this idea of, securing a digital asset in the blockchain. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty interesting one, right? Because a lot of people put their wealth, right? Like a, a lever for the wealthy has been to store your dollars in art and hopefully it appreciates and, and hopefully you get a return on your investment. The thing about art is, while it's an asset, it's not a capital asset, right? There's no expected future cash flows attached to it, at least explicitly, right? You can sort of rent it out maybe or, or rent it to a gallery and get some cash flow that way. People are thinking about it as a speculative asset. Um, and what's so tricky about the, uh, the physical art world is people spend immense amounts of money trying to ensure that they have proof of provenance, that they A, own it, 
and B, the actual artist to whom the credit of the art is, is given was the artist that created that piece. That origin is critical for that piece of art to, to retain value. Like one of the criticisms from, um, I guess the uninitiated to be a little rude about NFTs is like, okay, great. You've got this digital file, but why can't I just screenshot it and display it on, on my screen? And the answer is you can, you can do whatever you want, but you can also go to the Louvre and take a picture of the Mona Lisa and show it to your friends. It doesn't matter. doesn't mean you own the Mona Lisa with its initial provenance. It's that provenance that gives things value. So I think what this sort of blockchain application enables is for everyone to agree upon what the qualities and ownership of these things are. And when you, when you think about those motivations, it sort of makes sense that this digital art vertical was the first one to adopt, but you can apply that to anything, right? As soon as you can verify ownership and you can sort of get a digital representation of the essence of an asset, what it means for people, then a whole bunch of people can make decisions on this entity. And that kind of creates new opportunities that haven't yet existed. Um, the, the property example, I think, is a good one, right? Like the digital deed is a fantastic way of describing it. Once you have a title of a property, if I have a property that I have and has a title deed, that title deed shows that I own it. And it shows the various economic properties of that, of that house. And you guys can go look at that and you can decide to take various economic actions. You can decide what it's worth more accurately and, and bid for it. Or if you're a bank, you can offer me credit collateralized by that thing because you know what that thing is and what it entails and what its potential are. And you know, I own it. So then you can go and give me credit and I can use that credit to, to go do other productive activities. So it's sort of, there's a flywheel of growth that sort of the artifact of the NFT can enable. And we're, I think we're just at the very beginning of all of the possible applications that it allows. Yeah, that's really well said. I think, I think in the mainstream, people are primarily thinking about it in, as, as it applies to art, but it's really taking this, you know, taking a blockchain technology and applying it just to ownership of anything, right? Um, I saw this guy go on this riff on on Twitter this week, um, or I guess it was he did this a while ago, but I, I did I found it this week, and he was talking about all these ways that NFTs, all these industries, NFTs are disrupting, and it was some cool things I hadn't thought about, like basically, like one of them is um, proof of proof of attendance, like proof that you attended an event, or proof of sponsoring, like let's say you're a company and you're sponsoring an event and you get an NFT minted proving that you're sponsoring it and it's verifiable by everybody. Um, insurance, like certain things where just the, the data and kind of like the ownership is really important um, or the data of the ownership is really important. It's, it's just putting it on the blockchain, right? And the fact that it's an NFT just means it's, that it's one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it might it, be, it's uh... so broad. It might be worth calling out why a blockchain is a better information system for tracking property rights or who owns what versus existing information systems. So the two benefits of a blockchain, at least with respect to keeping track of who owns what is one, they're immutable. Um, and this comes back to the cryptography involved in keeping and maintaining a blockchain. Um, so only basically owners of uh, public private keys can mod like can transfer the ownership of their assets on the blockchain of the like transfer the deed on the blockchain. 
First is in centralized information systems. Basically, the registrar, the person who maintains the system, can, against the will of the deed holders, modify who it says owns what. So in that sense, the blockchain being decentralized makes it more immutable, which makes it a more faithful replica of um, who actually owns what. And then the other great thing about blockchains is they're transparent. So anyone can go and inspect can inspect it, which is kind of like what you're saying is, um, you know, if you have this data that you are at a concert, the fact that anyone can go and verify that that's true according to the blockchain is super valuable. Um, and so I think when you think about the blockchain as this information system that then undergirds a whole property system, it kind of, uh, you realize that it has a lot of potential and in the news, you know, people are like, oh, I put art on the blockchain and it's valuable and it seems super frothy, but they're kind of doing it a disjustice. Um, like a, a blockchain is just a part of a of a greater system, of a greater whole that um, because you can root the digital deeds on the blockchains, then you get, you get more certainty that the information system isn't lying to you. And when you know the information system isn't lying to you, uh, you have more respect for the overall system. Um, so that's my my quick rant on why blockchains Maybe are actually it, needed for this. I think it would be helpful to like to to use a real world example of what you're saying because I I know what you're saying, um, but like what's an example of of a situation where like maybe currently the way we do things is is centralized, but it would be more advantageous to have it in like a distributed, you know, the blockchain fashion. Um, yeah. So. For Robinhood, right, when GME stocks were going way up, you had Robinhood was like an intermediary was who was saying who owns what amount of shares. And then they're the intermediary that you have to say, like, go give me more GME stocks, right? And so Robinhood basically shut down that function. Like, they shut that down because uh, GME price was going crazy and they couldn't cover the cost. And so they stopped allowing people to transact. But when you were transacting for GME stock, like a GME stock is a non-fungible non token. And so if Robinhood and, and um, the ownership of stocks were on a blockchain and it's peer to peer, then that can't, that can't happen, right? Like uh, they can't basically stop you from buying and selling GME. Um, another example is in video games, right? All those prop, like all the items um, in a video game uh are basically attached to your user and the video game creator is maintaining who owns what and at any time they can basically like lock you out and say you don't own any of those goods anymore um and just kind of artificially mod who owns what um so those are two examples that come to mind do you guys have to, any uh, no i think the second one is is particularly um approachable so if you take fortnite for example right Fortnite generates a, an immense amount of revenue by selling in-game items, um, whether they're skins for your character or there are certain dances your character can do at the end of a round. And these are things that allow people to express their personalities, right? And if you don't have one of those things, you're sort of seen as like a sort of a, like a, a normie, like someone who's not fervently interested in the game. So people amass all this stuff, but like Chris was saying, like, you don't own any of it, right? There's no, there's no NFT, there's no property deed that gives you ownership because if you had ownership, then you'd be able to go and do what you want with that 
property. You'd be able to sell it, you'd be able to rent it, put it on a secondary market, but ultimately you're renting it from the platform. You're renting it from Fortnite. So what happens when you have these games that are getting a lot of attention and interest and people want to express their personalities or buy in-game assets, but they actually own those assets and you can verify they own those assets and you can verify what those assets are via this NFT. Then it opens up this entire economy for you to then go trade that outside of the game to individuals in a marketplace. So for example, you have Fortnite on one side, right? Which is the centralized kind of rental of assets. As soon as the platform goes down, the assets are gone, right? They have no life beyond the platform. Then you have these other things that are being created, these metaverses, um, which are kind of these decentralized, um, these decentralized worlds that people have avatars in. You can go into those worlds and you can use sort of in-game currency to purchase these not these unique, these non-fungible assets like in-game virtual land or like a, a skin for your avatar or even like a, a, a super um, um, desirable domain name or super desirable character name. Like imagine you were, you're in this game of Decentraland and there are hundreds of thousands of people like we're accelerating a few years and you have the Satoshi name, right? If you know you own that Satoshi name, there's going to be crazy demand for that Satoshi name. If you own those assets, that allows people to interact in a way different way. I mean, ownership, yeah. proving proving ownership um, is huge because it, it unlocks so much that, you know, having a skin in Fortnite that has no usage outside of the game does. Yeah. Oh, man, that that's that's well said. And it's funny, the two examples you brought up, Chris, because we hadn't even, I don't know if we've really talked about it, but with GME, like that actually, because I had some GME stock when that happened, and it it actually kind of made me go all in on crypto. Like, I don't even care about the stock market anymore. Um, and that was part of it because I was so frustrated with like, man, I can't. And then I and then I started using Uniswap and I was like, man, I can buy anything anytime. It's it's more risky, right? Like, obviously, we don't have to go into that, but but it's it's um, permissionless and censorship resistant. Um, and then the second example you use and that that's actually kind of why Vitalik created Ethereum, right? It was because his World of Warcraft character, they took away his sword or whatever. Um, and he was like crying, his, crying himself to sleep. This is from his own website I saw, but yeah. um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. Those are, those are two good examples. And yeah, teach like, I love what you said because it's, it's a whole, you said it's a whole uh, a complete different way for people to interact virtually. And um, you know, if the past 10 years have shown us anything, it's like, people want to interact virtually right and they want to do it in, in different ways and so um it kind of creates a it kind of creates an extra incentive to like be a part of a game or a part of a metaverse because you can you can literally like make a lot of money doing it right like my little brother used to play runescape um which is kind of like a world of warcraft type game and there's like a whole black market where they like sell um accounts and sell names so it's actually a really good uh, point, but now you, now it's not, doesn't have to be this black market sketchy thing. It's like, it's, it's done on a blockchain and, um, it's easy to do. Right. It's so it's right. It's fucking awesome. People, <laughs> people in, um, countries where the currency is inflating and the economy is crashing, they literally, they mine gold and runescape and then sell that. And that's a better job yeah. for them than working in the real economy. Um, yeah, in Venezuela, like my quote, brother, like, my brother was yeah. literally working with people in Venezuela, sending them like small amounts of Bitcoin. Yes. 
<laughs> so when when people are like, I don't get I don't get this thing. Like, why would people work in virtual reality? It's like it's already happening. You know, yeah. it's like the future's here. It's right. just unevenly distributed. And like we we live in the best possible country with the strongest possible property rights. I guess best country with respect to property rights. Right. And so people don't understand why having the stronger information system is important. But it's important because eventually the people who are maintaining these information systems just are abuse it and then it defeats everyone's trust. And so, right. Um, that, that's also kind of why, <laughs> like we, we, in the, you know, coming from developed world, like a lot of, especially the older generation, like they criticize a lot of this digital proliferation as like sort of frivolous. Like why would I ever value like a, a, a cryptocurrency in the ether? Why would I ever want to go into a virtual game that has no spatial reality? Why would I want to own digital pixels on a screen? It's like, in a lot of these cases, economic activity is already moving in that direction. People are already voting with their feet. So whether it suits you or not, it is happening. And I think the Venezuela examples of, like, if you, if you look at the first movers in all of these vectors, right, they're coming from places that, that don't have the privilege of, like, a robust property system like we do. They don't have a robust government that can print dollars and stimulate the economy, right? Like, they're coming from a vulnerable position and you're seeing them making moves moving into the crypto space because it's a better alternative than their current situation i think some good examples are like the, Venez the venezuelans and filipinos mining gold is fascinating they can make five times the income in game than they could in their economies another interesting one is like um you know people talk about the fact that um you know bitcoin and ethereum aren't yet being used as medium of exchanges, which I think is true, especially for Bitcoin. But either way, a use case where crypto is particularly helpful is in remittances, when you know people go and they move away from their families to go work in wealthier economies. So like Pakistanis working in Dubai is a great example because there's better economic prospects there. Then they send that money back to their family, right? And if they use the traditional remittance people, MoneyGram or Western Union, they get jammed up with fees, right? But if you're to transfer crypto wallet to wallet, you don't get jammed on those fees. It happens immediately and it works at all scales, right? So for very particular use cases, you're seeing, um, you're seeing the fundamentals of crypto be uniquely appealing to people. It'll start in those very specialized use cases, but then it'll grow and it'll become sort of more normalized. And then it'll apply to all the people that, you know, scoffed it in the first place. I think the metaverse is a particularly good example, right? Like, I talked to my parents and like, why would anyone ever want to go interact purely digitally for hours a day? But if you look at like what it enables for people, there's a lot of benefits that the digital world provides that the spatial world doesn't. Like, I think like an interesting one, and this is kind of going off topic, but I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Like when we social, we're social animals, right? Like we have this desire to go out and, and be with other people, talk to other people, tell them our stories. But a lot of sort of the social venues are like they're sort of gated, right? Like we're kind of tribal and we exclude people. And so some people don't do all that well interacting with the um, the sort of um, mainstream social world. In the game, though, there's none of that, right? You get to be inside another character and literally be whatever you want amass whichever assets you want, express yourself with any skins or build anything on your virtual land. And people will interact with you just for, you know, the sake of merit and your ideas. And there's, Dude, there's no, there's point. no walling of the gardens, which is just like, 
as soon as you realize that, like maybe it wouldn't be the best use of our time. I'll probably dabble in it. But for hundreds of millions of people who feel sort of marginalized socially, metaverse. Come on. Oh yeah, dude. I actually, um, my brother, <laughs> bring an example of my brother. So my brother, he, he plays a lot of video games and online. Right. And, you know, one thing led to another. He ended up starting to like play games t together with these guys in the UK a lot um, and just talking shit with them on Discord and everything. And he and he was spending so much time talking to these guys that he didn't really like have friends where he was living at the time. So he was like, those were his friends. And my mom and dad thought it was weird. But after a while, they're like, oh, I guess it's good for him to play video games. It's that's his social activity. It's talking to these guys, FaceTiming them on the fucking UK. And my brother ended up studying abroad in the UK and fucking hanging out with these guys, living with them for a month. And they're like, just, you know, the best of lads they, and, and still are. And so it, I, I love what you said. It's it. Um, if we think about like, like, let's say I want to go, let's say I'm, you know, I'm in San Diego right now. I don't know anybody here besides my family. Like, I want to meet some friends. You know, where do I go? Okay, I go to the gym. That's something I do, right? Like, am I just going to walk up to another dude at the gym and go, hey, man, uh, what, you know, what's up? You want to grab coffee? Like, it, it just, I would never do that, right? Um, but if when you're in a Decentraland and you're walking around, I mean, there's, it's kind of like a, a layer of abstraction. There's kind of a removal of your your own, maybe, I don't know, ego or something on the line. And it kind of allows connection maybe more easily for, for some people. So I, I love that point. Um, and yeah, all these things that we're touching on, it's, that's why I don't think like, I see people on YouTube and Twitter going, oh, NFTs are a bubble. It's not a, it's not a bubble. Like there's not gonna come a time where it's like, oh, NFTs are, you know, no one's, no one's using them because there's so many ways that, that they're already being used. And it's right. just, it's just, it's just going to be a continuously adopted more and more. Right. I mean, it's not, opinion. it's not, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was going to say there might be a short term, like a bunch of NFT digital art yeah, exactly. drop in price. But if you yeah. look at it as a long-term technology is here to stay. And that's right. the thing, the internet accelerates the hype cycle right so things blow up and everyone talks about it and then it disappears so for for normal people that aren't as plugged into crypto and metaverse and all that stuff they might not hear about nfts after a month from now that might not be in the main vernacular but um it is a technological primitive that unlocks a lot of new potential and in that sense uh i'd be like very shocked if it's not around in the long run yeah, I think I think that's a pretty key point. And um, you're going to see a lot of these short term, very quickly inflating bubbles. But the bubble is not on the underlying technology. The NFT is here to stay. The bubbles are going to show up in these sort of micro markets, these micro verticals that are built upon the technology. Those will come and go. Right. And then they'll get wiped out. Like, And, and what's what's going to be tricky is like when the NFT art bubble pops a little bit and it's all relative. Then you know people are going to go to the, sort of the the, uh, the doomsdayers are going to go and say, oh, you know, the NFT bubble has popped. But the NFT bubble has not popped, and it and it probably will not pop because it's it's not really a, a bubbly esque thing. It's not inherently speculative. The technology is not speculative. Dude, the digital art might be a bubble, but the NFT is a damn bubble bath. That's what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> you know, it's a fucking bubble bath, dude. There's going to be bubbles popping, but new bubbles all the time. You know, that's what NFTs are. I think uh, I think realizing that you know we live in the age of the internet and 
there's going to be a lot of hype on things. And it's not just crypto, like anything in tech, right? So GPT-3 came out, which is like a, uh, a giant neural net that can like produce human sounding language. And people are like, this is going to take over the world. Like it's, it's the smartest AI we've ever had. And people are freaking out about it on Twitter. You can't buy GPT-3, GPT-3 tokens, but if you could, it would be, it would be a giant bubble. Right. And so this happens all <laughs> yeah. over the place. It's just in crypto that people can get into prices. And so it seems absurd, but that's just the nature of technology. People overestimate it in the short term and underestimate it in the long term. It's a Mars law or something. Is that right, Teach? Yeah. So, yeah, better. Um, I think taking, um, taking conceptual view at NFTs will make you realize that, you know, in the long run, they should be here. But we don't really have so, the, the, count, the, counter, the counter argument uh, take here. So, I mean, right. I guess go listen to a podcast where people shit on NFTs for an hour. <laughs> After this. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, you're, you're only going to hear up only from the levered lives. <laughs> hey, in an inflationary environment where the government prints millions of dollars a day, you shouldn't be short anything. Like, don't don't short the memes. It's a reoccurring yeah, lesson dude. in my life. Yeah. You're yeah. Um, I I so, will. Uh, so, so I, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say one thing. So um, to kind of give a um a counter case to the idea that like the primary use cases of crypto and underlying NFT technology have been sort of like constrained to these small niches, um. A company called Dapper Labs, um, that have their own layer one blockchain, um, they created the most, the earliest, most successful NFT project called CryptoKitties, basically just digital cats that people amassed and collected and speculated upon. And um, it, the, the churn and volume on these things were absolutely insane, um, which seems like that's like a you know digital collectible sort of cartoony thing that maybe the mainstream wouldn't be all that thrilled about. But that same company, saw this opportunity to merge um, what was sort of a niche uh, crypto-backed um, endeavor with one of the biggest, most mainstream tribes on earth, which is those who watch sports. They came out with Top Shots. And Top Shots are basically these NFTs and they're clips um, of individual basketball plays. Um, and Top Shots is currently the highest volume NFT project we've ever seen. They do something like seven to, I mean, I'll pull it up right now. Um, let's see what they did in the last 24 hours. I mean, just preposterous sums of money are being thrown around. So in Crypto Slam, NBA Top Shot has done $4 million of sales in the last 24 hours, right? And so you're seeing finally a merging of the crypto niche and the mainstream. Like people are going absolutely gaga over this. And you, you can just, you can just, you can just impute the same sort of dynamic out, right? Like if it works for basketball, it's going to work for soccer. And it has with, uh, with a project called so rare, it's going to work for UFC and it's going to work for tennis and this and this and that, right? Like it's merging um, sort of like crypto S technology and like fantasy sports. Right. And if it can do that, then it can bridge a whole lot of other stuff too. Hey, I, so I actually have something that, uh, that's almost like a counter argument, or I don't know, just a doubt that I have in my mind. And actually, the NBA Top Shots uh, brought it up to me. 
it's it's crazy if they're doing four million in a day that's like half of all the nft sales if if average out right i mean of the two what is it 220 million 120 whatever mm -hmm. but so top shots like i i um i signed up for top shots and i was just looking into it and stuff and i was like man i started looking at it and i'm like man they're they're just printing these fucking nfts like nobody's business and they're and they're selling them for cheap but they're doing like you know, 5,000 one day, 10,000, we're just giving out these fucking cards, you know, um, or these, these, uh, NFTs. I mean, so my question, I guess, is, um, what is, is there any guarantee that, you know, a creator, um, can, is going to keep a, an NFT scarce because like, for, like, obviously I know you guys know, but when, when you, like, when you look on, um, what was I just on nifty gateway, right? Looking at TJ's collection, it'll say, Oh, this is by this artist. And it's, you know, number three out of 100. What's what, like, where's the guarantee that, that it's only going to be a hundred. Like, why can't they just make another hundred tomorrow? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any guarantee. Um, I think you, as a creator, you got a very specific incentive set, right? If you flood the market, annihilating all sense of scarcity, then the prices are gonna respond accordingly. And what's neat about the NFT structure is, so we're, we're talking about attendance, being able to prove attendance, right? Like concert tickets are gonna be NFT because it solves the scalping problem for teams, right? Every secondary transaction is tracked and they can get a piece of all that, right? So if you think about it from the viewpoint of, a, of an artist, they can flood the market with whatever they want, but it also kind of kills the cachet they have um, and if you think about the fact that they'll get a piece of every secondary transaction, if they can sort of like drum up a sense of scarcity and these individual assets, so like, you know, Beeple's one of ones, I mean, these are selling for tens of millions of dollars. If he gets a piece of every secondary transaction and he wants to maintain that cash cachet, then he's incentivized to ensure that he's putting out very, very few high quality items. But that being said, like everyone has their own motivations, right? Like that's been a critical and I think apt um, criticism of Top Shots. Like there's an insane amount of supply out there and there's a very <laughs> yeah. few, it's gonna be a Pareto distribution, right? Like there's a very few shots like a LeBron or, you know, Steph draining threes that are gonna take the vast majority of the transaction or the sales volume. But I think that's right on. Like you just have to sort of as an investor, particularly like that is, like one of your key roles, not only to identify which artists are like skilled and the best and that other people are going to like, but which artists are sort of aligned with the, um, with the virtue of scarcity. I think it's, it's tough to anticipate. Yeah. So that makes sense. It's basically like there is no guarantee, but the market will incentivize people to, to keep things scarce. And if, and if they decide not they decide to go for like the quick money and just print a bunch then their future potential for creating nfts of value is uh is gonna you know decline yeah i mean i think like, artists the, the, have a similar calculus already right where they some new artists might be very like uh prolific and put out a bunch of songs or pieces and just spam the internet hoping that something catches on and then people that have a lot of clout and are really good feel more concerned about kind of uh, polluting uh, their uh, portfolio that's out in the open, like Frank Ocean never drops any songs, right? 
and so it's kind of there's a similar aspect there where they're they're only trying to put out their best work so they don't tarnish their like they don't make themselves look bad so i think it's in a way it just uh it codifies calculus that probably already exists for a lot of artists so can, can you guys see my screen right now yeah so so for example um this idea of scarcity as as a virtue um so this guy right here trevor jones he put out this thing called Bitcoin Angel, and he's attached a very interesting characteristic to it, which is um, he put out 4,157, which is not inherently scarce at all. I mean, it, it all depends on what the market is, but that's a lot of pieces, right? But what he's done is he's attached this um, privilege to this piece, which basically says when Bitcoin hits $77,777, one of the holders of this 4,157 will get a personal portrait, right? So he's sort of like infused um, oh. he sort of infused demand into this piece and on the specific, um, point of scarcity and like giving the investor base some guidance as to how much supply they should expect to flood the market. Trevor goes on his Twitter, right? Which is a massive social media platform. And he indicates to people that a, you should hold the Bitcoin angel, which is sort of self-serving, but then he gave guidance that said, I'm not going to be doing any open editions for six to nine months. Right. And so whether you believe him is another thing, but you're seeing these dynamics um, sort of um, roll out, which is people are trying to signal to the market clear information so that people can go about their economic decisions accordingly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. I think um, an interesting nugget to plug in here is uh so there's a economist called Hernando de Soto. He wrote a book called The Mystery of Capital in like 2000. And there was this kind of investigation into why isn't there more economic activity um, in developing countries? Um, why aren't they adopting capitalism and basically producing way more? And basically what he found was that in these countries, there's giant like black markets of economic activity going on. And what's preventing even more activity is just well-functioning property systems that enables everyone to keep track of who owns what and so that they can take derivative actions like take out loans against their property um, and basically those derivative actions are what catalyzes additional economic activity um, and so a way to think about that is an asset doesn't become capital until it's fixed or recorded in some information ledger. Um, and then once its core economic characteristics are put into a ledger, other economic agents can then start taking derivative actions and it kind of creates this like non-linear like non feedback loop where you get more and more activity because people can reason about each, each other's intentions. Um, and so his whole thing was like in these developing countries, there, there are actually tons of entrepreneurs um, there's tons of activity. They just don't have the underlying information and property systems to boost even more of it. They don't have, they're missing that lever. And so the way I'm viewing NFTs is we're just taking activity that's already going on. We're storing it in an information system and then we're enabling more activity, more derivative actions, which is just creating like way more, uh, which creates way more opportunities um, for economic production and activity. Um, and so like an example is uh, um, like this RuneScape stuff, like there's a whole black market for this gold 
like if we actually enabled it in part of the game, it would be way there'd be way more going on. Um, and so, uh, I think I think that is that kind of mental model of how important the information system is starts to hint at you know why NFTs are going to be here in the long run. And even this this guy being able to say like I'm going to make someone their own personal NFT if they've held this NFT before. Like without the without the information system recording that information, he wouldn't be able to make promises like that. Um, right. So, so NFTs are kind of just like this technological primitive. They're not an end in themselves, right? They're means. So that's really well said. And also, so, uh, another another thing we so that a, a lot of uh, the DeSoto talk uh, we integrated into uh, Chris and I integrated into our first NFT piece. Um, I think another interesting aspect we hit on there was, um, you know, the NFT is a primitive that has good potential, but it it needs to have a variety of other systems built on top of it to ensure it has good potential. So, for example, um, you know, China or 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 other less developed nations do have like these de facto property rights systems. But at least in China, one of the issues for extending credit on a home is your ability to foreclose, which is like your security, is limited. Um, the way that the law is set up there, if you put out credit, you're not necessarily guaranteed to be able to foreclose on the asset that credit is is backed by, which is tricky. And that requires a, an additional system built on top of the property rights system, like an enforcement system or a social reputation system. So I think the point is good. Um, the NFT idea has a lot of potential, but we'll see various market participants building these systems on top of it to make it more practical and usable. I mean, that, yeah. and that happens in engineering all the time, right? There's, you, you layer different primitives on top of each other. And you, um, at the the end system is a, is a composition of a bunch of different parts, um, and so thinking of the NFT as the end to end thing is just kind of short sighted. Um, wow, <clears throat> you guys uh, have thought a lot, <laughs> a lot more deeply. I don't even know if that's the right to say it. A lot more deeply about this than I have. <laughs> that's. Yeah, dude, dude, it 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 pays it pays to be unemployed. <laughs> I know, man. I'm jealous of you guys. Um, there was something. Oh, so you brought something up, TJ, and I think um, it's interesting to like to really illustrate this point. But with NFTs, uh, the whole thing where an, a creator can get a percentage of the future um, sales, and so. I just think that I th that to me is so revolutionary that because it, because yeah. it can be um, you know it's written in code right it, that it ensures um, like I, I think that by itself as it pertains to art or you know ticket sales is is reason enough to 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 see the future of NFTs you know to see that NFTs are going to be a big part of our future. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just it just it 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 removes informational asymmetry and like these externalities that economic agents have to concern themselves with. Um, okay, and then another outgrowth, unfortunately, of um, of the NFT hype is 
um, some of the artists that could potentially utilize the NFT technology to monetize and access markets for demand have begun criticizing um, the underlying consensus mechanisms and their use of energy, right? So um, you've seen a lot of critique of Bitcoin or NFT related technologies because of this like lack of greenness or lack or, or excessive emissions, right? Which I think is unfortunate because it sort of takes a very um, simplistic view of what a technology does in terms of the net welfare it provides. So you take the NFT, right? We're talking about how like artists who previously had to broker with these like massive gatekeepers, whether they be like art brokers or galleries. And if you're sort of an emergent artist, like realistically you have no shop. There's like 1% of them that make it, right? And so you're kind of screwed. And so what you end up doing is instead of, of hunting down your passion and following that, you end up taking sort of a job you're not passionate about to pay the bills and you do your art on the side. So what does the NFT allow? The NFT is, allows for you to secure your art in the blockchain, give an idea of who owns it, what the essence of it is, and access this massive P2P market, right? So does that welfare enable to, does that welfare and being enabled to monetize your art, lean into your passion and access a huge market, not offset any like alleged green inefficiencies the underlying technology might have? So like it's, it's a more complex system. When you talk about like these incredible benefits, like being able to take advantage of every secondary transaction, in perpetuity, um, I think it's sort of a uh, an unfortunate simplification um, of what could be truly revolutionary for individual welfare. Agreed, agreed. Because, like Chris said, I mean, it it um, it enables an economic activity that wasn't there before, and and I think we all believe that that welfare is is greater than you know the energy the energy cost and. And at the same time, like if you're if you're encouraging um, economic activity where it wasn't uh, where it didn't exist before, or maybe it it existed but it, it what they didn't have the structure in place, um, and it's through a blockchain technology which uses a lot of energy, it's going to encourage ways of producing more renewable energy as well. Um, so yeah, I mean. I, I, I do see that as like a, a big counter argument to, to Bitcoin and, and um, yeah, I guess you heard about Ethereum as well, but I think the bigger picture, yeah, we all obviously agree that it's um, the pros outweigh the con. Yeah, there'll be feedback loops. It'll get more efficient and it'll encourage investment in renewable energies. Oh, hey, something, um, something I wanted to bring up um, that again, this is something that maybe I have a lack of understanding with, but, um, when you, so when you mint an NFT, let's say, let's say I, uh, or let, let, let's say Chris, let's say your sister who designed our podcast logo, she says, Hey, I want to make an NFT of this. I want to make a hundred copies because their podcast is going to be huge one day. People are going to want, you know, it's going to go up in value or whatever. Right. So she, um, she mints, she mints a, 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 a set of NFTs of our logo is if that if the platform on which she mints the nft gets shut down or no longer exists for some reason doesn't that take away the the tie between the actual image and the um the nft yeah you get what i'm saying so, is that is that connection dependent upon the platform on which you mint it yeah so this is a good call out and it comes back to like digital deed 
is the NFT and then there's an underlying asset. So an issue with a lot of these digital assets right now is they're stored on uh, centralized or proprietary servers. So if the company that's running that proprietary server goes down, basically your digital asset will disappear. So even though the digital deed is on Ethereum and it should exist in perpetuity, the image is on you know a, a random company server and they could go under. Um, so one of the things TJ and I have been looking into are basically decentralized storage solutions that aren't dependent on proprietary companies. So one that's pretty interesting is Arweave. They basically, you pay a flat fee for storage upfront, and then it's a decentralized network that makes a promise to store it indefinitely. So I think where we'll see these things go are uh, NFTs, like people's trust in NFTs will be dependent on the underlying digital assets being stored in decentralized um, services, as well as the digital deed itself being decentralized. Otherwise, you're still dealing with like uh, intermediaries that you have counterparty risk with. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a super good call out. The I actually I actually was looking into Arweave yesterday because this uh, crypto guy I follow said, "Hey, if if you don't store your NFTs on Arweave, they're going to be useless in the future." Um, and that I mean that makes sense to me. What? So maybe this is kind of getting off topic of NFT specifically, but can do you guys understand on a basic level like how Arweave works? How are how are people incentivized to run nodes? And, yeah. and store because I'm like I'm assuming basically it's I've looked into like storage J storage or whatever I think yeah. it's kind of similar right can one of you guys explain yeah. like how how something like that works um the way Arweave works is when you pay, when you pay if pay the upfront fee um 83 of it goes to this endowment pool and then over time that endowment pool is used to pay out a fee to the the nodes or the, the node operators that are storing the underlying data. Um, and so as it pays, it and slowly sorry, pays real out quick, over time. Mm -hmm. Real quick, because I, I think there might be people who listen who don't understand a node is, right? So it's it's basically like just somebody's computer, like somebody's running, somebody's connecting their computer to this network and it's literally using the storage and computing power of, it could be like, your laptop, right? Right. It could be your laptop exactly. and you say, Hey, I have, eight, you know, eight gigabytes of storage. I don't know if it exactly works like this, but hey, I have eight gigabytes of storage on my hard drive and I'm connecting it to this network and people are storing their NFTs kind of in this distributed fashion, sharing literally my computer, which is the node. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever you hear people talk about blockchains or cryptocurrencies, there's always a network of computers. So it's never just like a single computer somewhere. It's a network. And in the network, each node is like a single computer. And so in Arweave, there's a network of nodes. Um, and then when you pay to store something on the network, the, the, the network basically puts 83% of that fee into an endowment pool. And then that slowly gets paid out to the nodes for storing things over time. And so what they've done is basically... Um, there's a Moore's law for storage cost. So if you look up the historical cost of data storage, it's going down progressively more over time. And so by creating this endowment pool, they can just basically keep paying for um, the data to be stored over time. It's kind of like a um, like a perpetuity works like this, you know, like you 
you put in a certain amount of money now and then it gets paid out over time consistently. It's kind of a similar model. Um, and then they have some other incentives that encourage every node to like store basically uh, infrequently accessed data. But like that's the gist of it is this endowment model that pays out over time and you have this really steep decrease in cost of data storage so they can make the economics work. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It, it is. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's some, some heavy engineering work to pull it off. How does, uh, where does the rest of the money go? So you said 83% in the endowment, where does the 17% go? That, that gets paid to like mint the, like to basically do the initial storage of the, like the initial storage of the data and then whoever mines, um, the update is like, they actually don't use a blockchain. They use a block weave which is kind of just a more complicated data structure that helps incentivize um, all the data that you're trying to store to this network to actually get stored. So the, the, the node that actually updates the block weave gets that 17%. Um, so it's so kind of like blockchain, like the but block way more reward. complicated oh. incentives. Okay, uh, so, yeah. that, so it's kind of like the block reward but it's different in that the majority of it goes to this endowment, which is paid yeah. out to the whole network. So it's, yeah, so I guess it's it's kind of like a, uh, a more fair version. Cause again, like for people, anybody's listening who doesn't understand that part, like if I were to try to mine Bitcoin, let's say on my computer, I would have a one in a jillion chance of ever getting any Bitcoin at all because, um, because it's so competitive and there's literally huge companies mining Bitcoin with an immense amount of computing power, like in a data center. Um, whereas this R weave, it sounds like more truly distributed. Like it's 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 a more fair way of um, it's a more fair economic incentive. Seems like. Yeah, I think what's 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 so what's so neat about R weave compared to some of the other decentralized providers is by doing the seventeen eighty three split. You're ensuring that in real time, there's sort of a fee going to those that provide the network with storage, but the fee is a small percentage of what you could earn. So it incentivizes this sort of longevity. Otherwise, if you don't hold that, that file over a long period of time, you're not accessing that endowment pool, which is where the majority of the money comes from. So it aligns more directly the incentives of the miners or the storage providers to those looking to receive storage and recall their files. Um, I mean, the block, the block weave is interesting too, because it, um, and we don't have to get into it, but um, sort of the endowment pool incentivizes permanence and longevity. And then the block weave, by virtue of having to prove that you re can recall various data quickly, that incentivizes more redundancy across nodes. So you're really just, you're incentivizing the whole system into permanence. So if you're a user that is willing to pay a premium upfront for just, absolute peace of mind that you can recall your ship indefinitely, then Arweave is, is an interesting sort of solution. And I'm sure there'll be there'll be copycats. It seems like most of the market has gone the Filecoin storage SIA direction, sort of pay as you go contract stuff, like similar structure to AWS or or Google Cloud. Um, but Arweave's kind of taken a, a different approach. And at least for now, they're uh, they're kind of a, a lone wolf. Okay. So that's how it's different from 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 the other ones is that the other ones pay as you go. Our weave is just a one-time fee and you get near guaranteed permanence. Right. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, that's why it works nicely with the NFT, right? Like, so you can mint your NFT, you pay your one-time fee as an artist, and then now there's no intermediary that's storing the asset. It's just on Arweave, and Arweave is designed to be just perpetual storage forever. Like the Internet Archive, which is like a nonprofit that tries to archive all of the internet is using Arweave. So its its goal is to be like a permanent archive for internet data. Do you guys know like roughly how much it costs if you wanted to just store a JPEG on our weave right now? I think it was like fifteen or twenty five dollars. <laughs> uh, I think it was so the price I saw quoted somewhere was like fifteen or twenty five dollars a gigabyte in perpetuity. Oh, wow. Whereas on S three, which actually isn't that much, on S three yeah, it's, it's like with S three is uh, AWS is like pay as you go. Um, it's like less than it's like maybe two cents or uh, a, a fifth of a cent to to rent it at, to to rent like a gigabyte for a month or something, right? So you're, you're kind of it's, it's AWS kind of like instead is of Am, Amazon's cloud service, Amazon Web Services. It's Amazon's cloud for anyone who doesn't know. Right. So instead of paying two cents a month or a fifth of a cent a month indefinitely, you just like. It's almost like you sum up that sequence that you'd have to pay two cents every month and you just pay it all up front. And so right. it's it's kind of like just a breakthrough in like a new business model by our wave. To, 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 to cruise back into the, to the NFTs, so like depending on what sort of file, the value of the file you have secured by an NFT, um, you'll navigate towards one decentralized payment structure, decentralized storage payment structure or the other. So for example, if all of us popped on Nifty Gateway and bought like $5 open editions from some artist, right? Like we're probably not gonna pay $20 per gigabyte of storage to store that absolute securely indefinitely. But as you scale up the value at risk, you become more and more incentivized to go in our weave like direction. Like the, the guy who bought the $69 million Beeple like he sure as hell not going to be storing that on Nifty Gateway's IPFS server, or God forbid something more centralized, right? Maybe he'll choose the pay-as-you-go contract-based payment structure on a Filecoin or storage. But why wouldn't you just, you know, suck down a premium upfront for that kind of peace of mind? It's kind of like it's kind of like purchasing an insurance contract. You pay the premium for upfront, and then you're kind of cruising. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, it's like buying a car versus leasing a car type of thing. You know? I mean, I guess not really. <laughs> Never mind. Strike that from the record. Hey, editor, cut that out. Sound <laughs> <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> um, that's, um, so, wow, that's cool. <laughs> Guys, I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm going to propose a, um, propose a little game here following in, uh, in Crisp's idea. So I'm gonna give you an option to purchase any of three NFTs, not the NFTs, three digital assets secured by an NFT. And you gotta choose which one you think will give you the best return over, let's say, five years, all right? So your first option is a CryptoPunk, mid-range, let's say you gotta buy it for 65K, a 
four parcel piece of virtual land near the middle of Decentraland, like Genesis Plaza, or a $65,000 LeBron poster. Top shot, top shot posterization. I, oh, so I would, I would pick the land. Yeah, me too. Virtual land, huh? I was thinking about the LeBron. Like, I definitely wasn't going to pick the CryptoPunk, but I don't need the CryptoPunk. I, I, you can make a case for that too, though, honestly. <laughs> Because, Dude, they have staying power for whatever reason. They're yeah, it's around. like first mover advantage, right? Like it, people for some reason think those are so great. Um, they got the memes. Yeah, I would. Yeah, they got the memes. Yeah, I would. I would pick the uh, the land just for the utility of it, and like, you know, could do could do different things with it. Um, oh, we should mention on the land. I, I don't know. Maybe this record has been changed already, but like I. When I was learning about the central land, I saw that someone had bought a five hundred thousand dollar house. I think it was in Decentraland. Do you guys know? Do you guys know about that? No, I haven't heard of it. Maybe I'll. I'll I mean, it's, edit it's, up. It's, I'll pull up a picture. If, if it's an expensive, um, if it's an expensive property that's built upon, it's probably Decentraland. It's the most expensive right now. Yeah. The um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so Decentraland, it has it has like the center where the land is the most valuable, right? It's um, Genesis Plaza. Gen that's what it's called. Yeah. Have you guys been on there? Yeah, I, I cruised around a bit. Dude, what's, <laughs> what's what's funny about fun. what's funny about Decentraland is like so many people are buying all the assets on it, but at least when I've gone in it, it's problematically low density like there's no one to, to fuck around with or meet or like talk with or like gamble yeah. with like it just doesn't it hasn't gotten to like, everything's been built but it's been built but they haven't yet come yeah yeah dude i that's i i thought something was wrong with my computer or something i was like i literally don't <laughs> see anybody here <laughs> i was like running around look dude i had so much fun making my little guy though it's i i totally uh i'm very bullish on decentraland or like digital digital uh metaverse have you guys heard about um super farm nah um so it's very like honestly it's pretty speculative right now it's this one of my favorite crypto youtubers his name is elio it's elio trades is his channel and it's his project um and it's building like he's trying to do a lot of stuff that's why i'm kind of skeptical about it um but it's partly a metaverse and like a nft launch pad um specifically focused on gaming and they're also like have their own arm of the business that's a gaming studio where they've already developed a couple games and he's releasing nfts that like give you advantages in game and um mm. it also has an nft farm which i don't really get like you can stake your nfts and earn and it's it's really crazy he, and, he's, and he's doing it all cross-chain like it's on BSC, it's on and it's on Ethereum. Um, I'll send you guys a link for it. Is the, is the farming just is the farming just like he he's built a um, like a guild whereby you can mint the NFTs and then effectively rent them out to other players for yield? That's probably what it is actually. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know how the I don't understand how like an NFT farm would work, but that's it's probably something like that. 
Oh, here's a picture. Here's a picture of this house. So, yep, sold it for 500K. Um, here, I'll set my screen. I'm gonna have to edit it in, but um, yeah, dude. Here it is. <laughs> it looks kind of cool. I don't know. Oh, maybe that's the person <laughs> bought it. Ooh, very. <laughs> very wow. modern looking. Yeah, very that modern metaverse. <laughs> Where is that? It doesn't look like Decentraland. Yeah, it looks it doesn't see, does it say Decentraland in here? No. Sometimes the news is weird though, and it and it won't uh, it won't say the crypto like the actual cryptocurrency. Like I there was there's like a theme. I think it's in uh, the Wall Street Journal. Like they've written a couple articles about NFTs, but they don't ever say ETH. They don't say it's on the Ethereum blockchain. It's weird. Covering their tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. So, um, new, Chris, do you, own, new do you own any NFTs? Do you own any NFTs, Chris? I know TJ does. Um, I, I do, regrettably. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Regrettably. TJ forced me to go in with him on one and then... <laughs> I've just been giving him shit for a long time. <laughs> I'm super high um, on NFTs, yes. but I'm worried about about short term froth. But you yeah, know. Chris was Chris was worried about our speculative NFT going to zero, but over ten years is going to a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, honestly, yes. the more I think about it, it's okay. Like either it goes up a lot and we make money, or I just get to give TJ shit about it for the rest of our lives. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a price I'm happily, to pay. happily Dude, pay, happily pay. Let me know if you need a co-investor, because uh, I'm so ready to ape into an NFT. But I just know <laughs> that, like, I've I've been so close to buying like these really shitty ones, you know. And I just I'm like, nah, nah, hold on, hold on. But I'm ready to fucking ape into an NFT so hard right now. Dude, it's it's so fun. It's so fun to. I mean, it's obviously so fun to gamble, um, which is effectively when you're purchasing individual assets, what you're doing. It's so much more fun than gambling on something safer. But realistically, if you're trying to benefit from the NFT boom, you should you shouldn't be investing in, in in the infrastructure. I mean, it's not nearly as fun, but yeah, yeah. That's I I uh, that that thing I just mentioned, Super Farm. I own some of that token, but it's like it's like he hasn't even it's doing you know they're doing a phased rollout and everything um but it's like it has like a 400 million dollar market cap right now and they haven't even launched anything except a couple nfts Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. they don't haven't even launched the platform he's literally released like two collectibles or maybe no four collectibles but no platform and it's at 400 million market cap it's crazy and all the, the collectibles Probably. sold out in 90 seconds <laughs> They That's did like I don't know how much in sales, but they sold. Oh, I, I could figure it out, but yeah, they they sold out in ninety seconds. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty uh, sure. bubbly. Some frothy lattes floating around. <laughs> Speaking of, I could go for one of those in about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, before we just keep ranting and people just think we're speculative degens, I think we should wrap this one up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not wrong uh, about me. I'm a hundred percent. Or me, or me. Maybe, maybe Chris is the only. I'm a re, I'm a re, I'm a regen. I just like come into a room and just help people just feel way healthier. It's like this karmic energy <laughs> I have. 
so I guess in in sum, TLDR, <laughs> NFTs are digital deeds. Uh, they're part of information system that's the blockchain that'll unlock uh, a whole new, stronger property system and more economic activity and production, both in the metaverse and virtual realities, and then probably one day in the real world. Um, so disregard the short-term noise and froth and, you know, realize that this is a long-term lever for society. I think that's, I think that's what you got to do. Shout well out said, to Ed well Fernando De Soto. I basically <laughs> stole all his ideas and just applied it to NFT. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alrighty. Until next week. Speaking of, De, speaking of De Soto, if any uh, conquistadors out there want to take my hash mask off me for a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you have one? You have a hash mask? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, love it love it boys all right uh we'll see you guys on the next one all right lads peace